0: is the mulberry lane show, show. exclusive interviews fun music celebrities oh, yeah, where I wanna be. your weekend getaway my, my now here's mulberry lane rachel beau and ellie cat Be a part of
1: the family. It's Rachel
0: here with your radio
1: sisters Bo and Allie. You know it.
2: And you know what time it is. Mm -hmm. It's time
1: for the Mulberry Lane Show.
2: Well, another weekend, another jam-packed show for you guys It's real, it's here, it's ready Alright, here we go, let's get to those guests The Mulberry Lane show's on Celebrity story songs You're gonna have it going on When we tell you who's stopping by now First up today, country hitmaker and country music legend, Janie Fricky. Now, Janie Fricky is a two-time CMA and ACM Female Vocalist of the Year, and right now she's releasing four of her classic albums available for digital download. Today, you're going to hear about how she found her voice figuratively and literally, and her thoughts on being a woman in country music today. Now, Janie Fricky has hit the number one spot on the country charts an astounding 18 times. Wow. All right, guys, you'll be hanging out with Janie Fricky in just a minute. Okay, sisters, who else do we have today?
1: Then you guys are in for a musical treat. Damien Sneed is joining your weekend. Now Damien is a composer, conductor, producer, writer, arranger. He has everything and one amazing human. You're going to get to know Damien today. Hear all about his intriguing journey into music. He has worked with some legends in the jazz, classical, pop, and R&B fields including Aretha Franklin, Wynton Marcellus, Jesse Norman, Stevie Wonder, Diana Ross, and many many others so you're gonna get a great behind the scenes look at what he
2: learned from a lot of these artists and we have a concert you need to attend Damien Sneed will be coming to Omaha on February 14th Valentine's Day you guys it'll be a great night it's at the Holland Center in Omaha and this night is themed we shall overcome a celebration of dr. Martin Luther King jr. So as Damien explains, the night is all about overcoming your obstacles, no matter who you are, no matter where you started from, Damien has a very positive message. He also talks about how he was an orphan and was adopted into a great family, and he shares his journey, his heart, and his inspiration with you today. You're going to hang out today with two very motivating guests. It'll be a great
1: hour you don't want to miss, so come along for the ride. Okay, Rachel, you have a story to share. Yes, you know I have two huskies and you know one's older and one's kind of young and rambunctious. I ended up at Walgreens at 11
2: p.m. one night this week. Guess why? You had to get dog foods? No. You had to get paper towels?
1: <laughs> no. Not a bad guess, though. Okay, what? I had to get new toothbrushes. Oh, no. Yep, the dog got all the kids' toothbrushes. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. <awful. laughs> I had to run out so everybody could brush their teeth in the morning. <laughs> that was my hashtag Walgreens run at 11 p.m. Well, at least you can say that maybe your dogs have clean teeth right now. That's right. <laughs> 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 Alright, we'll keep it right here with your radio sisters. Be right back with country music legend Janie Frickie right here on the Mulberry Lane Show. Stay
2: here with your radio sisters. We are family. I've got all my sisters with me.
0: Meet the celebrities on your radio station. Back to the Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane.
1: Well, two-time CMA and ACM Female Vocalist of the Year and two-time Grammy nominee Janie Fricky is hanging out with you guys right now to share the newly released The Essential Janie Fricky. You can download it now on all digital services. Now, Janie sang her way through the 80s, posting 18 number one hits, including What Are You Doing Tonight? It Ain't Easy, Be Easy," He's a Heartache, and her musical journey started in Indiana and led her to become a country music legend. Welcome! Welcome to the show,
2: Janie Fricky. Well, that was really lovely. I like that. You girls are great singers. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. We're, we're so honored to have you on the show.
1: Yes, it's so cool to talk to you because you are country music legend for sure. And all throughout the 80s, your voice was really the voice of country music at that time.
3: Oh, you know, sometimes I think I'm living a dream (laughs) because it really was an amazing time and it was like living a dream. It was just too much now, too wonderful
1: but it was quite a journey to get there because you started out as a jingle singer and red lobster for the seafood lover and you everyone will recognize your voice from that commercial plus a lot of others so through that time singing those jingles you were in the studio so what do you think you learned about your voice and delivery through jingle singing
3: Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I never really thought about that. But I just had kind of a smooth type voice, kind of an easy listening. It was not edgy. It was not hard or anything like that. And I think my mom taught me to sing vocally at the piano. When I was standing next to her, she would say, oh, that's shrill. Don't sing shrill. Uh And so I had kind of a covered sound, I think. But that was good for a lot of jingles and commercials. However, I did have some... Ad agents that would want me to sound like Aretha, so I'd have to get into my R&B sound. (laughs) Okay, and some people want me to sound like Karen Carpenter just all depends. You have to change your vocal style sometimes when you're doing a commercial. So you
2: probably learned a lot of different like textures and colors of your voice while you were doing the jingle singing.
3: Yeah, that may be true. I probably didn't. Didn't even realize it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then you went on to become a background singer in Nashville. So you sang back up to a lot of greats at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, you would have to, I assume, blend with them and meld your voice kind of to follow their sound and their Interpretation of the song So that had to be also a learning experience As far as interpreting a song And vocals and sound
3: It really was, it was quite an experience Of course, you know, I'd never done any of this before So this was like learning type of thing And when I moved to Nashville I was asked to join one of the top vocal groups Called the Leah Jane Singers okay. And so the producers Knew about her vocal group So they would ask her to come to all the recordings Everybody from Barbara Mandrell, to Ronnie Millsap, to Frank Sinatra Jr., to Joe Tex, a big mixture of music. And so we would go studio to studio, not knowing what we were going to be working on, and then they would play the record, and we would have to come up with some kind of a backup vocal sound within a few minutes. We didn't have long. We had to do this quickly. Wow. Was so, that fun? Oh, yeah. It okay. was fun, but you had to learn how to read the music, or you had to learn how to follow the leader, and she was the leader, so we had to move quickly. Time is money type right, of thing. Right, right. <laughs> how many of you were in the group? It was usually a four-piece group. I was soprano, okay. Leah Jane was alto, and then she had two guys singers, so it was okay. usually a vocal group of four.
2: So you were probably on so many singles and hits as a backup.
3: Well, yeah, if you have a collection of old albums like Conway Twitty, Dolly Parton, Ronnie Millsap, on and on, David Allen Coe, uh, Jimmy Buffett. I mean, we sang back up on all of these people's records because the producers knew who we were, right. and it was just right. a phone call away. They'd say, hey, can you be here at 2 p.m. tomorrow? We're going to do a session. With the band, we'll be in the big studio like at RCA or Columbia. And so we all went in there as a big band, all the instrumentalists. Then we would all do our part all at once. And then if we missed a part, we would have to overdub it or fix it later Mm -hmm. after the musicians left. Got it. So now,
1: just having that experience, when you went on and recorded your own solo albums, were you pretty quick at recording?
3: Yes, I was like a machine (laughs) Because I had done all of this in the studio I was a professional studio technician at this point point. yeah. and uh, so yeah I knew how to make the clock move quickly and do it right and be efficient and try to be perfect and be on pitch.
1: Now a lot of bands or singers they perfect their chops kind of out on the road singing and then when they get in the studio it's a whole different thing you know they have to learn you know vocal placement and mic and all of that so you came from the other side you were an expert at the recording side so now what was it like for you to step out on a stage?
3: Oh, that was the hard part, I I must admit, because I was basically shy in personality, and I always have been, and so it's a real challenge for me to go out in front of a huge group of people and to feel at home and to act like I'm talking to somebody in the room, you know, it's, Uh it's a real challenge to be an entertainer at the same time as a performer, and then to also worry about whether you, your music is sounding good or not.
2: Right. Well, right now on the Mulberry Lane Show, you're hearing from two-time CMA and ACM Female Vocalist of the Year, Janie Fricke. Now, she's just released the essential Janie Fricke for digital downloads, and this collection includes many of her 18 number one hits in country music. You're hearing from Janie Fricke here on the Mulberry Lane Show. So now, how did you go
1: from backup singer to getting your own solo record deal? How did that come about?
3: Well, actually, I was in a vocal group one day. We were called in to do a Johnny Duncan session, and I was not even familiar with him or his music. And this is what started putting him out there on the charts. Larry Gatlin produced his first session, and they needed to have a girl line done in the song, and the song was called Joe and the Cowboy. So they pointed to me, because I was a soprano, and I sang this whole verse in the record. And then later on, when they went back into the studio and Billy Sherrill started producing Johnny Duncan, they did a song called Stranger, which was written by Chris Christopherson. Okay. And this became Johnny's big number one record, and my voice was on it, so then the disc jockeys all over the world wanted to know who the girl was singing Shut Out the Light and lead Me. And that was a big, big record. Okay, so
1: now did that take you by surprise That that one line Of all the things you've sung That was that one line that kind of was your big break Oh
3: yeah, that took me by surprise all right. Because, you know To be able to be doing a Chris Christopherson Record, original And then to be working with Johnny Duncan It was just amazing And I I was still trying to be a backup singer I was still in a vocal group And I didn't want any recognition So Columbia Records came to me And I said, leave my name off if it's record. I said, don't put my name on the record. So they didn't. And You're they weren't shy. Kidding. You were very I shy. Was shy yes. But I was trying to protect my uh, status of being a group singer. Right. I wanted to keep working in the studio. And I didn't want anything to take that away from me.
1: So of course, it turned out the exact opposite way.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. Much to my fighting it. And then Billy Sherrill said, look, we want to produce an album on you. And I said, well, let me think about it. So I went and talked to the president of the union, the singer's union. It's Astra. Okay. And I remember he told me, hey, if you don't take this opportunity now, you may never get it again. Go ahead and go for it. So I said, okay, I'll do the album as long as I don't have to go on the road or get a bus and have a band. So Billy Sherrill said, oh, no problem. You can do this just fine. And sure enough, that was not true. I had to get a bus and a band, and I had to go on the (laughs) road. Do you know how many people listening right now are shaking their heads and saying,
1: I would die for that opportunity. I know. (laughs) That is so funny.
2: And it's such a refreshing story in today's day and age where like everybody wants to be famous.
3: Oh, it is. It's interesting. It's different for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Country music legend Janie
2: Fricky here on the Mulberry Lane Show. You're going to hear more about Janie's rise to fame, her story, and what's next for this female vocalist who's hit number one on the country charts 18 times. Keep it here with your radio sisters on the Mulberry Lane Show.
3: Whatever you do, be wise enough Not to fall in love, a holiday, Looking for a place to have
0: a, Looking for little Bringing you the stories behind the songs Back to the Mulberry Lane Show Now, here's Mulberry Lane
2: In the last segment, you heard from female country music legend Janie Fricky, who's had 18 number one hits She's telling you all about her journey, her rise to fame And finding her voice we hope this next segment inspires you to pursue your artistic passion, no matter what that is. Now, back to Janie Fricky.
1: Okay, so then you had some moderate success on the charts it wasn't until you honed down to doing just ballads that you kind of broke through as a female artist at that point there weren't a whole lot of female country singers being played on the radio which gets back to exactly what the issue is today so first of all I want to ask you about how you know you hit upon just recording ballads and then why do you think it's so hard for women to get airplay in country music
3: Well, yeah, ballads were my favorite. I could deliver those better than anything. And I think if it's believable, it will sell. And so when I did Tell Me a Lie, I think that was believable, and it sold. And when I did Your Heart's Not In It, that sold. And when I did It Ain't Easy Being Easy, that was a huge record. And you're right, I started out by not having very many hit songs with Billy Sherrill, and he told me he was confused because I had too much of a variety to my voice. And he didn't know where to take me. And he said, Tammy Wynette, I knew exactly what to do with Tammy Wynette, but you... You're, you're a challenge But <laughs> well, it so, was probably
1: I, from your background Of singing all those different kinds of songs yeah, I, And it was all yeah. part of you by this time
3: Yes, exactly I was a challenge to the producers They didn't know which way to go with me But uh, I don't think of gender comparison I think of a man singing a great song And he's lucky he had a great hit on it yeah. And then I think of a woman singing a great song Like Tammy Wynette or Patsy Cline They had great hits on it So why would somebody go to the time and effort and energy to worry about whether it's male versus female in sales or competition that has never uh, appeared to me in my heart or my mind and I don't really think it should be. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know what's interesting and it kind of goes along with what you're saying is we spent some time in Nashville throughout our musical career and what we heard over and over again is it always comes down to the song. So that's basically what you're boiling it down to. When it's creative, when it's music, it's about the song. It doesn't matter who sings it. A good song delivered well will cut through.
3: Exactly. You got that. You nailed it right there. It's the song. Absolutely. And, you know, that's what we're all in this for. Oh, yeah, we are, aren't we? (laughs) And that's what the fans are in it for. They hear a record on the radio. They're driving down the road. They're going to the post office or they're going to the airport or whatever. They hear a song come over the radio, and this song, the way it's made up, lyrically, And instrumentally, it's either going to hit them like a a roadblock. You know, they're just going to stop and pull over. Who is that? What is that song? That is so wonderful. And I've done that a a million times. Mm -hmm. And a guy or a girl could be singing it. Right. It doesn't matter. It's just like the delivery and the importance of what that song is saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: So now in your career, what songs that you have done that you knew when you were singing it in the studio or whatever, that it, it would hit people like that?
3: Well, I knew It Ain't Easy Being Easy was a winner when I went into the little office, which was a little house, and the writer sat down at the piano and he played it on the piano and sang it to me. Coming from him, it sounded just like a simple ballad, but it put chill bumps on my arm. And I will always remember Bob Montgomery was my producer, and he was a big producer at that time. And he just watched me, and he knew, yeah, we can do this record. So we went in the studio, and that's been one of my all-time favorite songs, just because of musically the way it was produced, that was one that hit me.
1: Was there ever a song that you recorded that ended up being a hit that you had a difficult time with in the studio, you couldn't get your head wrapped around it, or did you ever? No, that
3: probably issue? so. I think she's single again. So no, okay. I wasn't sure if that was my type of record, and I almost turned it down. And then Reba McIntyre had been pitched the same song. And so somehow my producer beat her to the, beat her producer to the punch. Got it. Got the record out there really fast. And I was the one that had the song on it. Okay. So it was really crazy because Reba and I talked about it later and she was on stage singing it and I ran up there and sang harmony with her. <laughs> it was kind For of a... a Yeah, it was kind of a kick to do that, but yeah, there's been some songs that haven't felt right, but they really were right, and it all came down to it.
1: And then I want to ask you how you overcame your shyness in able to perform on stage and deliver a show.
3: Well, you know, it still is hard. Isn't that odd to say? Because after all these years, you would think it would just be so easy. But that's just part of my personality, my character. It's really hard for me to stand there and figure out what to say in between songs. That's not a natural for me. Delivering the song is the easy part. Mm -hmm. But other than that, it's harder because I'm not a real high-energy person on stage, although... A lot of my shows, I look back at the tapes and I seem like I've got a lot of energy in them. (laughs) (laughs) To me, they don't come across that way. So, you know, that's just my own critiquing. Right. Uh (laughs) Self-critique, right. So now, is it true that all your awards are in a box? Oh, actually, Jeff got them out. One time I was out of town for the weekend. He put all the awards up on the wall going up the stairway, so they were all plastered all over the wall, (laughs) and I was so surprised. Now we've moved them out to the studio in the garage. We've got a little recording studio, and they're all over the wall out there. And then one is at the Country Music Hall of Fame, I think the first CMA award, and plus a costume I was wearing. When I performed for President Reagan, I donated both of those things to the Country Music Hall of Fame. Awesome. Okay.
1: And then do you have any advice for the upcoming country singer, either advice you were given or something you discovered along the way that you would like to share?
3: Well, you know, I think my advice to anyone who really wants to get into the business and has that yearning, I think it just takes a real drive and it takes a lot of work. You have to go out and do it yourself and start performing and playing anywhere you can, even if it's just with your guitar or a piano, and to get comfortable with that. And then... If you get response from people that you are good, then that means you do have talent. Now, if you don't get a response from family and friends in the public, that means you might want to just lay out because you're not getting enough response. But a lot of it has to do with the magic of the right place, the right time, and just hope that the more people you're in front of, someone will sit out there one day and hear you and say, you know, they've got a chance let's take them and go in and do a demo session on these people Uh and to always be honest and kind and straightforward i think that's the most important thing honesty wins over everything and if you're honest with your music it shows from your heart and soul and then you start to beam and radiate and then people will feed off of that and then some great things could possibly happen
2: yeah Yeah, that's great Great advice. advice
1: and then the digital project are there any new
3: songs Yeah, well, there's songs that I didn't even know I recorded. Okay. There was a song on there called Heart. Jeff listened to it before I did. He said, what about that song called Heart? I said, I never did a song called that. He said, yes, you did. (laughs) And then there's like 40 songs on this Essentials. Then I started listening to it. And I said, oh, I do love that song. I don't know where that went or what happened to it. I talked to the label guy in New York City. And he said, yeah, these were singles. I guess that he would know the chart numbers on them. I don't know the chart numbers. But um, it was great to listen to that and to see the compilation of all these records from so many years.
2: Yes. That's awesome. I have one final question for you. When you're in the studio, do you do anything to get yourself in the mood in the studio? And what do you think about as you're singing? Are you thinking about the technicalities or are you just thinking about delivering the message?
3: I think probably the message has to say something to me before I'm going to sing it, Uh and then each line and each word could hold a different feeling to it or a different enunciation of the way you're saying the word itself, Uh and then diminishing it, like making it sound softer or excelling with your vocal. So working with your own vocal style, I think, means a lot. Instead of just singing it straight through with no emotion, I would say to look at the line and then interpret it and put a little something special in it. Yeah. But first of all, it has to be the song. It has to be the record because you can almost talk a line in a song, but you're singing it, but you're feeling like you're talking it. Uh-huh. So I think the emotion is very important in every word and every line. Make it something special and then people will listen to that delivery and say, hey, that's really different. That's unique.
2: Right. Uh, well, well advice. And you do it so well. <laughs> yeah. You really
1: do. Well, Janie, oh, it's been awesome chatting with you and hearing about your journey and all the things you revealed. We appreciate you sharing all of that with
3: us. Well, Rachel and Allie and you gals, thank you so much. I love you and best to you in your future. Thank, thank you, Janie. Janie.
2: Country music hit maker and legend, Janie Fricky here on the Mulberry Lane Show. Be right back with performer, artist, and composer Damien Sneed. Keep hanging out here with your radio sisters for more creative inspiration.
0: cover the Mulberry Lane show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Well,
1: Damien Sneed is an artist in every sense of the word. As a pianist, organist, conductor, composer, producer, arranger, vocal coach, and arts educator, he is known for his multiple genre work, which includes jazz, classical, pop, R&B, and gospel. And you can get a taste of his musical genius when his latest tour, We Shall Overcome, a celebration of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., comes to the Holland Center February 14th. But first, get to know the talent, Damien Sneed. Welcome, welcome to the show, Damien Sneed. How are you? Good, how are you?
4: I'm great, I'm great.
1: So now the upcoming tour, there's a lot of very talented musicians, vocalists, so tell us what we're in for.
4: Well, yeah, we have classical singer joining us, jazz music that'll be there. There's singers that have toured with everyone from Kirk Franklin to Erica Campbell to B.B. Winans to Sunday Best on BET, Greater Mount Calvary, just people from everywhere. Awesome. And I'm super excited about coming to Omaha, Nebraska. My mentor and conducting, Thomas Wilkins, uh, conducts the yes. Omaha Symphony Orchestra there. Yeah, I've never been there. I know Warren Buffett is there, but I've just super excited about getting yes. a chance to come there and being with all the people and celebrating. The legacy of Luther music
1: what's the format of the show
4: we have a large repertoire of music from spirituals to Motown songs like uh, What's Going On okay. to uh, Aretha Franklin who sang uh, Paul Simon's song Rich Over Troubled Water like, Proud Mary I mean we have so much music so many things
2: oh awesome and you know what's cool about your stop in Omaha is it's also Valentine's Day so I think it'd be a great date night to go to this performance
4: that's true all the couples will be great for them to be there.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay so now you were on track to go to medical school and then yes, you I was. Wow. ended up in music. You made that decision relatively quickly. So talk about how you knew that that was your path.
4: Yeah, I had 22 full scholarships to like all the Ivy League schools for pre-med as a major. And at the last minute, I decided to become a music major because I still would be able to heal people, but not with my practice of medical arts, but with the art of music. And I love It uh, was a great decision, and now here I am doing music, and things have really worked out.
1: Okay, so now what was your parents' reaction, you know, when you've got all these scholarships for pre-med?
4: At first, they were like, are you sure you want to do music instead of medicine? They thought that maybe we should reconsider something, but they decided after about Three or four months that it would be okay for me to do music, and my parents definitely supported me in that.
2: Okay, that's so awesome. he- you're healing hearts in a different way.
4: Oh, thank you so much.
2: Mm-hmm. So now, Winton Marcellus was
1: instrumental in your trajectory into music. So talk about his influence on you at a, at a pretty early age and how that kind of shaped your musical path.
4: Yes, I met Winton when I was in Augusta, Georgia, my hometown in like 8th and ninth grade and the relationship just kept developing and I had no idea you know doing so many different styles of music I would be able to conduct his piece The Abyssinian Mass, which actually incorporates so many different musical styles classical jazz gospel blues I mean there's so many different styles and that really really made it amazing because with that piece that I conducted with my choral group and got a chance to record with then it's really opened up so many doors, he's still in my life as a mentor, he's like a big brother to me.
1: Wow, that's amazing. And then you actually conducted him.
4: Yeah, and that was very unnerving to conduct my mentor.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, his belief in you probably helped you grow as an artist, I'm sure. It really did. It really did. If you just jumped in here, you're hearing from the multi-talented Damien Sneed, composer, writer, musician, right here on the Mulberry Lane Show. You're also releasing the album, We Shall Overcome.
4: I'm super excited, yeah. Okay. And by the time I get there on Valentine's Day, it'll be released. Okay. So it's great. The music is really phenomenal. It has all styles on it, and it features some of the people on the tour, okay. oh, okay. awesome. and we're super
2: excited. Awesome. And will that be available at the concert as well?
4: Yes, most well, definitely. I'm really excited about that.
2: Okay. Will you be signing at all?
4: Yeah, oh, we'll definitely sign CDs as well. Everybody comes out, and we just love to greet the people okay. and just talk to everybody that
3: attended.
1: Okay. That's awesome. So now you direct the award-winning 70-piece Chorale Le Chateau it seems like you always move to the next challenge. You're always recreating yourself, doing the next thing. Are you always hungry for the next creative challenge? I am.
4: I'm already ready for the next thing now after this tour is over. Okay. Yeah, just to continue to be stretched and to continue to grow as a musician.
1: Now, was that something that was always a part of you or was that something that you developed along the way?
4: I've just always had an interest and a proclivity to learning more and just continuing to be challenged So I'm never comfortable with where I am.
2: Okay. Now, would you say what inspires you the most for your next creative project? Would you say it's like literature or music or current events? What do you find spurs you on to the next thing?
4: Definitely current events, for sure. And just filling a niche with what people need, you know, an area, a pocket, like the road less traveled, instead of being a copycat like everybody else.
2: Yeah. So you kind of look at what's needed where there's a void.
4: Yeah, because there's so many echoes and there's a lot of imitation out there. I was watching a documentary with Dionne Warwick, and she was saying the difference in the music of her day and today is that a lot of people now you hear on the radio everybody sounds alike. But right. in her day, you knew it was oh that was Tony Bennett, oh that was Frank Sinatra, you know that was Dionne Warwick, that was Gladys Knight, that was Aretha Franklin. But now everybody sounds alike, the right. same melodies, the same harmonies, the same, you know same
2: instruments uh, Mm
4: -hmm. vocal tracks, exactly Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and then the other thing which is interesting is a lot of times classic artists used to cover a lot of the same songs, but you knew who it was because they had their vocal imprint
4: immediately like we just lost the great Nancy Wilson I mean she was a great storyteller you know and so was uh, Abby Lincoln you know you think about that and of course Aretha Franklin I mean she could take anybody's song and just totally make it something totally different
2: right Right. make it her own yeah okay what do you hope people take away from the February 14th concert what do you want them to walk away feeling
4: most of all, I want everybody to walk away feeling that we can come together in unity and love because music is a universal language. Yes. Yeah. And we want them to be uplifted and encouraged. I
1: love now, that. spirituality has played a part in your music. So, talk about the role that plays in your life.
4: Most definitely. It's the It's everything. I mean, all of my gifts are from God, and I give Him glory for everything that He's given me. And I, the Bible says, you know, too much is given, much is required. So, that's why I am always enjoy being challenged because all the gifts that I have, I try to make sure I use them and that way when I leave the world, I'll leave empty and won't leave with things untapped or things that are lying dormant. And that's why it's so good to connect with people from other cultures and other places and people of different faiths and even people of different skin color, you know, dealing with civil rights, whatever. It's just great to be here in the earth and be able to connect with so many people and grow and also leave something behind. Like- I love
2: that. I love that message. And I don't think I've ever heard it quite put that way, Yeah. to leave this world empty because you have given all your gifts away. That's beautiful.
1: Uh-huh we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back here on the Mulberry Lane Show with more from multi-talented composer, musician, and artist Damien Sneed. Keep it right here with your radio sisters on the Mulberry Lane Show, where you stop by to spark your creativity. You
3: can be free if you want to be.
0: mulberry lane show here's mulberry lane
1: if you've just joined us in the middle of a chat with composer writer musician conductor and all-around musical talent damian sneed you can catch his we shall overcome a celebration of dr martin luther king jr at the holland center in omaha on february 14th let's get back with damian and you can continue hearing all about his fascinating musical journey yeah. So now you've been commissioned to write an opera for the Houston Grand Opera, and that's due in 2020. How do you go about starting something like that, and how far are you into it?
4: Well, presently, the libretto is being worked on, and at the end of the tour, we're going to have a libretto workshop. The librettist is Deborah Mouton. This is my second opera. I was first commissioned by the Lyric Opera in Chicago to write an opera called Empower, and this opera is on the life of Marian Anderson. Tickets are on sale now, so that's, wow. that's a great
1: that's cool. That's amazing. So now, how do you manage your time so that you can get everything done by the time it needs to be done?
4: Well, I'll be working uh, over the summer while I'm on break, and then the orchestral score by December, and it'll go into workshop. The opera goes up March 5th, 2020.
1: Okay, so would you say you're a very
2: organized person?
4: I have to be organized, otherwise everything would fall apart.
2: Okay. What calendar app do you use to organize your time?
4: You know, I don't like calendar apps. Now, there's an app that we're using on the tour, which is great. It's called Master Tour. Okay. Uh, my tour manager, he turned us on to that one. A lot of my friends use that app as well. But I prefer just writing stuff down. I use at-a-glance calendars.
1: Okay. And do you find that you stick to your calendar, or do you find yourself wandering?
4: No, no, I, I don't wander. A, while, a couple of years ago, I actually double-booked myself and didn't realize it till an hour after I was into another performance, so that's oh. never happened before. So, yeah, that, that's why I write things down. And I also have friends and people that work with me and help to remind me of things.
2: Right. I'm sure you need that. Uh Uh-huh. So much of what you
1: do is so creative and, you know, a lot of it is deadline-driven. What do you do when you you feel yourself creatively dry and you've got these upcoming deadlines or things that need to be done? How do you re-inspire yourself or is that not even an issue for you?
4: Uh, I watch TV. I do normal things. I step away from it. I go shopping or I travel. Sometimes you have to step away from things because there are times that I get uninspired or I have a writer's block or, uh-huh. or the creative flow stops, but it usually comes when it's supposed to.
1: Uh-huh. And where do you find yourself working most? Are you mostly in a studio? Are you mostly you know, on the road?
4: The opera I wrote for Lyric Opera in Chicago, I had to write it in a hotel in Barcelona during a, uh, something called Fede Gospel. And that was hard, riding on a bus and losing uh, internet service. It was very intermittent. Oh. It, and then uh, sometimes I, I work at home. Sometimes I work on a plane. It just depends on wherever I am. Thank goodness the technology and Apple products, I can just work from wherever I am.
2: Okay. And so if the inspiration is inside of you, it's not really dependent on your setting. Is that what you would say?
4: No, it's not because different settings also give different inspirations.
1: Right. So now you've worked with a lot of greats in many different genres. So who would you say is a person that you've drawn a lot of inspiration from that you have worked with?
4: Well, I'll just take three people. Jesse Norman, Wintin Marsalis, and Aretha Franklin.
1: Okay.
2: What did you take away from Aretha Franklin?
4: From uh, Aretha, diversity, but she really taught me how to really list the songs together and how to have a certain level of respect for the people, but also for the music.
1: Okay. Hmm. And then what about Jesse Norman?
4: Jesse Norman actually sang at my parents' wedding. You okay. won't believe that. Before what? they adopted me. Wow. Just, yeah, she's just amazing. I mean, what she does with the score and with the phrasing and the breathing and You know, it's funny that you ask that because I had a performance with Jesse Norman on Thursday in France about two years ago. Okay. On Friday, I had a a performance with Aretha Franklin in Detroit, Michigan. And then on that Saturday, I had a concert with Diana Ross in Toronto, Canada on Saturday. I'll never forget that.
1: Wow, what a weekend. Well, if you're just jumping in right now, you're getting an earful from the very talented Damien Sneed here on the Mulberry Lane Show. You worked with the Clark Sisters. Being a sister group, we researched a lot of sister groups. So talk about working with the Clark Sisters.
4: Well, Twinkie Clark, I met her when I was at Howard University, and we became the best of friends. And they're just such an amazing musical family. They all play piano and organ. And they really taught me about being very daring to just try anything in the moment. Really? Oh, yeah. And so that took away any fear. Like when you're on the stage, uh, give people all that you have. you know. And they also taught me a lot about uh, how to deal with being on the road, constantly nonstop, how to, you know, not get sick on the road, just how to pack. I mean, I, remember I used to traveled, like, four large bags of luggage on every trip, and they taught me how to condense my luggage. It's everything I really learned because they're veterans in the industry.
1: Wow, that, that is so cool. You should write a book.
4: You know, everybody says that, and I definitely want to tell my story and let other people out there know, not just people that are orphans or that were adopted, it doesn't matter what you may face right. in life, what you may deal with, you can overcome it. And so that's really what the message of the tour is about. That's my calling, I know, just to share that with people. Let them know, you know, and I'm so grateful with my faith that i have successful in so many different genres and yeah. styles. I can work with so many major artists. I mean, they're beyond Grammy Award winners. And I at mean, such a young age, options. you were
1: working yeah. with them.
4: Exactly. And so now, you know, I know it's my duty to pour into other young people, yeah. you know, around the world. You know, that's really what this tour is about. You know, I overcame so many things I'm still overcoming, and we can all overcome things together.
2: I love that. You know, it's funny you should bring that up right now because my next question I was going to ask you is, I have an adopted daughter from China, and she's six now. And I was going to ask you, since you're adopted, how that has impacted your life.
4: Um, my mother that adopted me, she passed in 2015. It's so interesting. When we found my biological family, it's really weird. My biological mother and my mother that raised me knew each other. <gasps> to the point where my biological mother used to come to my home and listen to me play the piano and sing around four and five years old. And so I've been around my biological mother and didn't know it was her, and she didn't know it was me. And it's interesting because I will never forget a concert I did in Columbia, South Carolina. And I remember, I'll never forget, I was on the stage, and both of my mothers were sitting out there at the same time, and I could see them mouthing each other saying, wow, aren't we proud of our son? And I remember just crying, and I had to get myself together not to mess up with the piano piece I was performing, but wow. I mean, everybody doesn't have that story. Right. But it's been really, really a great journey for me to the point where when I met my mother, the day I met my mother, I asked her, I said, well, how old are you? She said, I'm 47. And I said, oh, that's interesting. I said, well, how old were you when you put me up for adoption? She said, I was 23 years old in six months. And I began to cry right then because on the day that I met her, I was 23 years old in six months. Wow. So like a full circle moment, yeah. Oh, I've got there's chills. So yeah.
2: Sometimes I wonder if there's something to do with adoption that happens like that, because I feel like in our journey, we had so many, like, God wink moments and things that came together that were just otherworldly that I thought, oh, it could only be divinely inspired.
4: Yeah. And the crazy thing, too, is my mother said that she was thinking about, uh, instead of having me put up for adoption, to let my parents adopt me. But, and then I'm like, well, did you know I was going to them? But we found out she did not know. And my mother even thought about aborting me a couple of times. So, uh-huh. yeah, that's why I'm you know, I'm just all for, you know,
2: wow.
4: just people just realizing that you can't judge a book by its cover.
2: No. You know,
4: you never know where someone is going to go
2: right. later on in
4: life. And that's why it's good to not judge people by where they are right now, by the money they don't have, the job they don't have. You know, they may not look promising. You know, I was labeled as being uh, autistic, and they wanted to put me in special education, and my parents, who were school teachers, said, no, let's actually have Damien, uh, you know, get tested. They found out I was tested, and I had a high IQ, Uh and it wasn't, you know, I was on the other side of the spectrum or whatever. So, you know, it's just amazing to see now with everywhere that I've been able to go and perform around the world. And, you know, and I'm not really moved on things and accolades and awards, but, you know, it's all really good.
1: It's amazing. Yeah, It's just been a joy chatting with you, and next
2: project we'd love to have you and we'll be there on the 14th
4: oh good i can't wait to meet you all we'll take a
0: photo as well Sounds okay we'd great, love Damien. It. awesome
2: damian sneed s-n-e-e-d here on the mulberry lane show make sure you catch damian in concert with his north american tour we shall overcome a celebration of dr martin luther king jr it's coming to the holland center in omaha february 14th valentine's day plans guys this will be a very entertaining and inspirational night damian thanks for joining us on the show today for sharing your passion your vision and your story. Mm hmm. Certainly a story of overcoming. Okay, girls, who else do we need to thank today?
1: Yes, and our other guest today, legendary Janie Fricky. Thanks, Janie, for joining the show, giving us a peek behind the scenes at your life at the top of the
2: charts and your life now. And with 18 number one country hits, you certainly know how it's done. Janie, thanks for joining the sisters today for Girl Talk and so much more. All right, and we'll see you guys here, same time, same place, next weekend on the Mulberry Lane Show. Bo, stay happy and stay blessed. Allie, don't forget to be awesome, Rachel. Do something creative this week, and that's a wrap. Woo-hoo!